electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Last Call, an historic moment for Amazon, but it may not be good news for investors. We'll have the breaking developments. The hot tech name falling big right now. Is it an ugly preview of NVIDIA tomorrow? A bloodbath to come? A stunning warning from a Chinese EV maker. Forget EVs. Walmart's making a big play into TVs. We'll talk about it. Unstoppable housing. Prices climbing. Inventory low, but pockets of value and opportunity are out there. We'll show you where. Flooding the market. Why a surge of teams are leaping into stock trading. What it all could mean for the markets and your money. All that and more over the hour. So belly up or buckle up because last call is up right now. All right, welcome, everybody. Good evening here. Good afternoon out west. I am Brian Sullivan. All that and more coming up across the hour. But first up on Last Call, a question of sorts weighing on investors' minds. Maybe your mind tonight. Will NVIDIA's earnings kill the bull run? We are less than 24 hours away. There's our clock for the chipmaker's fourth quarter results. Now, normally, we're not going to lead Last Call with company earnings. Frankly, they're mostly boring and wonky and nobody cares. But NVIDIA is something different. It matters to itself, it matters to tech, and it maybe matters to the entire market. And some strategists believe that anything short of a blowout quarter could pour cold water on the entire tech rally. Investors' jitters were felt in today's stock move. NVIDIA posting its biggest drop in four months. Today, the stakes for NVIDIA may have gotten a little higher, courtesy of a different company. Cybersecurity shop Palo Alto Networks getting bludgeoned right now. It's down 20%. They cut guidance and the stock tank. Now, if this current sell-off holds, tomorrow would be Palo Alto Networks' worst single day in nearly four years. Now, context is key. And to be fair, and we always are, Palo Alto has been on fire until now, doubling over the past year, same as NVIDIA. So some might say they are priced to perfection, and with Palo Alto, perfection did not come. And that wasn't all. Other high-flying tech names got kneecapped. AMD, worst day in more than a month after falling 5%. And then there is this, of course, and we didn't forget Super microcomputer. It was one of the speculative stocks that we talked about last Friday. In fact, last Thursday night, I tweeted off that I had a little bit of whiff of the 2000 tech boom, and I said I was a little concerned about SMCI. Well, since then, stock has lost a fifth of its value. The upside, SMCI had a huge bump off its lows today. In fact, a nearly $100 bounce. Still closed down about 16 bucks, but was down over $100 at one point. Very interesting to see what tomorrow brings. The stock is a little bit lower right now. So let's dive into all this and bring back in our friend, Fundstrat Managing Partner and Head of Research, Tom Lee. Are we wrong to say that NVIDIA matters to the overall market? Uh, NVIDIA is hugely important. Um, A lot of eyes are on tomorrow, as you said. And it's going to be very telling 
us about how much firepower still exists in the market. If NVIDIA has a great report and rallies, I think it's going to confirm we're not really at the top of the first half 2024 market top. But there's you know, an equal chance that NVIDIA has a great number and the stock sells off. And I think that's going to tell us perhaps a lot of the buying power is used up. So I, I think it's very important. Yeah, here's the thing about NVIDIA, and it, I'll give my take, and you say, no, Sullivan, you're wrong as usual, which is NVIDIA will probably beat street estimates on EPS and sales. Okay, they, they do every quarter. It's, it's a measure, I suspect, of obviously the guidance matters a ton, but how much they beat by. This could be a time, Tom, where we see a company blow away estimates and it's still not be good enough. Yes. Anecdotally, I, I'm finding a lot of our clients thinking the company is going to beat and sell off, which tells me... Exactly what I just said. Yes. And that's why I, I actually think the bigger surprise would be NVIDIA rallies tomorrow, and it shows there's still legs left in the rally of the first half. But that's just an anecdote. How much matters in the guidance versus the actual quarterly numbers last quarter? Uh, all of it's going to matter. And as you know, because a lot of things have been priced into it, um, people are going to look for little wrinkles and, you know, blemishes. So uh, a lot is priced in. But, you know, I think if there is a sell-off, I, I actually think it's going to be viable for the most part. And, you, and you've, you've been bullish. You've been right. You've been out there with just, there's like a couple of you guys that were on your own island for most of 2023. It's a very lonely place, by the way. But, yeah. But you survived, like Tom Hanks. You had a volleyball yes. as a friend, and you've prospered. You still remain bullish for the year. Yes. Is NVIDIA the biggest risk to the market? Is the Fed the biggest risk to the market? Is the election the biggest risk to the market? We have to factor in the macro stuff. What do you yeah. think most about I think the Fed's the biggest risk okay. because the market needs to broaden and it's going to broaden when interest rate cuts start to get priced and investors begin to think about that roadmap. And if inflationary pressures don't ease and, and the Fed starts to sort of second guess that, I think it puts a lot of pressure on stocks. Is there a not zero chance or is there a zero chance we get a rate hike this year? People are now starting to talk about that again. Um, or is that a zero percent chance in your mind? I mean, I think that the probability is low in actuality, but the market could get concerned about it. And if it does, that would put pressure on stocks. In if, some you know, January is one month doth not a trend make, as you know, more than anybody. January's numbers were hot. We yes. saw in, in, in the early 80s, late 70s, inflation can look like it's whipped and then it comes back up. Right. We saw that again. It can be sticky, as they say. If we get more hot inflation data for February, is that, is that hit stocks? Because yeah, now it, the Fed is suddenly back in play again. I mean, I'd say it's really bad if, if inflation's hot in February because how would you convince the bond market and the Fed that inflation's falling? But that would not be our central view. I, I think there was a lot of one-offs and even you know, bad seasonality that makes January CPI look hot. I think February CPI could be quite soft, but it's too early still. Where's the best place to make money in the stock market right now? Well, I, I think if someone is saying, you know, where's the best risk reward? I like small caps because uh, their valuations are attractive. Price to book is still 44% of the S&P. That's still the launch point where they were in 99. 
Um, they're big beneficiaries when the Fed starts cutting. Expectations are low, and actually delivered earnings haven't been bad. So I, I think it's good risk-reward, mm-hmm. but, you know, tomorrow— We've been there before. The, the, the valuations you cite have been there, and people have ignored it. I do wonder, and I'm going to tick off half the audience or more right now, if the MAG-7 sells off, the S&P's probably in trouble because they're so huge, right? But that means people are raising cash. They're selling, they're taking profits, they're raising cash. Could a MAG-7 sell-off be the best thing for the small caps? Uh, in a way, because you're right. It, you know, Russell 2000's 8% of the S&P, so it wouldn't take a lot of reallocation in That's the small it. caps to make a big move. There's still $6 trillion of cash on the sidelines, and you know, margin debt is way below where it was in 2021. So I, I still think there's a lot of firepower in the Yeah, sidelines. I think, don't quote me on this number, guys. Somebody out there can Google it. I think Microsoft's and Apple's market caps alone are more than the entire Russell 2000 combined. I wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, so you get a sell-off there. To your point, you're talking about a lot of money, a lot of firepower going into a pretty small space. We just have to convince people, and as you are doing and some others who have recommended, that small caps are not going to be dead money because they were dead money for a while. Yes. And, and, I and they're think, not sexy. We don't know their names. Their company's based in Des Moines and whatever, right? Yeah. They're very tough, though, if the Fed's not cutting. Because, what do you mean? Well, you know, small cap companies in general have more leverage, so they're more affected by cost of money and... Um, you know, they're affected by the capital spending cycle, which is, again, affected by huh. monetary policy. So I think small caps are quite cyclically sensitive. So if it. rates don't continue to climb because they've ticked up in the last couple of weeks, if rates go down, good for small caps. Very good for small caps. In, yeah. Have you heard about these NVIDIA earnings tomorrow, Tom? Uh, Supposedly, it's, it's the big, first time I'm hearing about it. It's a big deal. You should look into that. Yeah. And I have a feeling we'll talk about it tomorrow night. Yes. Just a random suspicion. Tom Lee, fun strat, always great. Appreciate it. All right, let's take a look at what happened to your money today. As we call it here, pre-NVIDIA day. The Dow, S&P, and NASDAQ all finished down. The NASDAQ, though, was down about 1.5% at one point. So like super micro, it came back. On to your studs and duds of the day, the big winner. What else? Discover Financial, Capital One agreed to buy it for $35 billion. Regulators might have a say about that, by the way. The big decliners, Expeditors International, logistics company, air freight company. They saw a big drop in earnings and in revenue. Stock fell 7%. Let's get a quick check on futures in this pre-NVIDIA day. And they're not doing much. They're mixed. All right, coming up, a landmark moment just announced for Amazon, but it may not be the win that investors think. Herb Greenberg up on that. Plus, why Elon Musk's worst nightmare on China's EVs may be coming true. And of course, during February, we are celebrating Black Heritage. Here's Tracy Travis, the Estee Lauder Company's EVP and CFO, sharing her story. In environments where not many people look like you, you will be constantly challenged to prove yourself. So you need to always invest the time to be well prepared. Being a constant learner is what I've loved throughout my life. My incredible mother taught me to always try to treat others the way you would want to be treated and pay it forward, which has certainly influenced my mentorship and sponsorship of others throughout my career. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. 
a second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs and the small dogs who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome back. Let's get to tomorrow's news tonight. The stories that you and Wall Street will be talking about tomorrow morning. First up, Citigroup CEO Jane Frazier is getting a raise. Her compensation jumping about 6%. It'll now be about $26 million in combined salary and stock options. Frazier and her team, of course, have overseen massive cost cuts, which included laying off over 20,000 people. Oh, and Citigroup shares are down over 15% since Frazier took the helm in March 2021. Next up, Solar Edge getting heavily sold off right now. The solar company slashing guidance for the first quarter. Shares are down just over 10%. And with this move, Solar Edge has now basically wiped out more than three years of gains. In July of 2022, a year and a half ago, Solar Edge was valued at over $20 billion. It is now worth just under $5 billion. And finally, Walmart announcing it is buying TV maker Vizio for more than $2 billion. The company saying during its news and during its earnings report that Walmart hopes to boost its ad system business through Vizio's streaming system. Here's Walmart CEO Doug McMillan with Jim a short time ago. We can connect the dots for advertisers. You know, if they advertise with a digital ad, for example, and the customer transacts a week later in a store or club, we can connect that up for them and let them know that the ad really worked. With this purchase of Vizio, um, we are intending to be able to expand our opportunity to serve customers and help advertisers have an opportunity to connect even more dots. A lot of dots. All right, shares of Walmart and Vizio seeing significant jumps in the wake of the news. But what does it mean for media writ large? Joining us now is partner and co-founder of Lightshed Partners, Mr. Rich Greenfield. Rich, help me understand this deal. Why does Walmart want to start building televisions? This is a huge deal for the media industry, Brian. If you think about it, it's all about data. You know, when you're selling ads, understanding what happened after you saw an ad? Like, did you actually buy something? It's what's so powerful. I don't know if you've noticed, you probably have Prime Video at home. Mm. Uh, and if you've turned on or your viewers have turned on Prime Video over the last few weeks, they've probably noticed something new, advertising. So unless you're willing to pay extra, you're now getting ads inside of your Prime Video. And it's because Amazon actually knows what you buy. Now they're combining that with a massively scaled advertising business. And I think Walmart sees the same huge opportunity. Advertising is a $45 billion business at Amazon. I think if you're looking at Walmart, it was three plus billion last year, probably on track for four and a half. How do you 10X that? You get into the connected TV space and you actually understand not just what the action is, but actually be able to target the advertising as well. And so it's that 
kind of holy grail of yeah. really understanding what happens does, in advertising. Does Vizio sell that many TVs that, that Walmart would have a truly national understanding of, of what people are doing, what they're watching? Vizio is one of the largest TV manufacturers in the country. And if you think about the price points, this is not Samsung or Sony, Brian. This is at a more of a traditional Walmart shopper price point. It's what makes this so interesting, I'm sure. We thought Walmart this year, we, we saw Walmart getting really interested in advertising. They were repeatedly on their earnings calls talking about advertising. They made a huge pass. Doug, who you just had on with Kramer, you know, Doug was at CES this year, and it just felt like Walmart was making a lot of bold moves in terms of advertising. We thought they'd buy Roku. Yeah. Instead, they bought the smaller player in Vizio. I don't know if Roku didn't want to sell, but clearly this is Walmart saying, we think this is a huge opportunity. Obviously, it's been pretty negative for Roku shares in recent days. I think it's going to be interesting. Not great for Comcast and Charter because they've got this joint venture called Zumo. Not great for TCL and Google, which has tried to make a big push into the TV space as well. This is really disruptive. Yeah, because I guess, I guess because they'll know exactly what people with Vizio TVs are doing. They're watching Peacock. They're watching Prime. They're watching Netflix. How long do they watch? What do they watch? Well, and, when, and what ads? What, what ads do they see? And what, what ads do they, they do? see? What work? You right? see diapers. You see diapers. Do you go out and buy those diapers? Do you you know? Do you buy that coffee brand? Like that full understanding yeah. of the consumer. That's what everyone is after. That because sort of attribution and measurement. Your, your Vizio account is going to be linked to your Walmart.com account. And so you see the diaper ad and then you're like, you know what? You're watching TV or on your phone or your iPad or whatever it is. Boom. You go buy diapers. They know that. Oh, I want to switch gears quickly. Turn to the box office. Uh, not a great year for movies so far. Domestic box office returns to the same point last year. 18% lower, 42% lower than pre-pandemic. Is this the rise of streaming or is this i don't know the fact that there's movies that i, I that stink for lack of a better term i think it's 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 a little bit complicated i mean first of all the strike has had a meaningful impact there, there's no doubt when you think about how the hollywood strikes has disrupted production you know a movie like dune which is coming out on march 1st was supposed to come out, I think, last November, Brian. So there's no doubt that we have a tremendous disruption in the amount of movies coming out. That being said, even when new movies come out, I mean, you saw a Marvel Universe movie come out from Sony this weekend um, in Madam Web, and just essentially it was DOA. And we've seen a lot of films really just not perform. And I think what you're really seeing, and I, I think it, it is a little bit, consumers are being more selective. I think there's so much choice. There's so much content on streaming. They know movies are going to show up on streaming not long after they're in theaters. And so I don't think movie theaters are going anywhere. I think there'll probably be fewer of them. I think attendance is never going to recover to pre-pandemic mm. levels. I think it'll bounce. 25 will certainly, the rest of this year, will get better starting in March. But you are still going to be down meaningfully from where you were pre-pandemic. Even, even the almost guaranteed kids movie hits have not done well. That That's what's insane to me. Even like, let's just get the kid out of the house well, for two hours, gorge on popcorn. Even they're not doing well. Look, Bob Iger's biggest task right now at the company, you know, he obviously figuring out ESPN and the streaming future everyone talks about. But the real challenge at Disney, the content hasn't worked. Like, you just look at... Pixar, Marvel, Lucasfilms, like yeah. all of these family-friendly franchises, they just haven't worked in the last couple of years. And I think when you think about what his number one focus is, is can he bring back 
the success Disney had in theatrical yeah. over the course of the next couple of years. And I think that's a big chunk of it. I mean, it's look at messaging. how much Disney, I, I, Disney I, I, is down a lot. Uh, you know, I think in terms of their performance and box office has been really affected by Disney's misfires over the last couple of years. Yeah, been, if Disney comes back, box office will get better. It will. That's it. And, you know, I, I watched one with my son recently. I was like, this is really messagey. I just want to be entertained. Rich Greenfield, Light Shed Partners, big stuff. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. All right. Still ahead. It may be the last word Elon Musk wanted to hear from a China-based EV maker. Huh. Plus a monumental moment just announced for Amazon. We'll tell you what the news is and why it may not matter as much as you think. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. All right, welcome back to Last Call. Stellantis's American brands are finally rolling out electric cars. Philip Oak spoke with Stellantis's CEO and got his take on the EV transition. And I guess also I watched a bit of it, Phil, why, why they were kind of behind other people. Yeah, they believe that 2024, Brian, is the year that Stellantis really starts to make inroads when it comes to electric vehicles in the U.S. Look, they haven't had any, truly haven't had any. They've had a a few uh, fiats over the last few years, but this is the big push this year. And it comes at a time when the EV market, it's trailing both hybrids as well as internal combustion engines in terms of vehicle sales. This is where they were last year. ICE still dominates the market, hybrids at 9%, EVs at 7%. And for Stellantis, look, they're going to have a Ram 1500 electric pickup. They're going to have a Jeep Wagoneer S, a Jeep Recon. So you got a couple of electric Jeeps there. They're also planning on introducing an electric Dodge Challenger. So they're coming to market with vehicles they believe will catch on. The question becomes, how much will they be able to catch up in a market that Tesla still dominates, let's be honest, even though it no longer has 75% share in the U.S., it still is king of the hill. And you're looking way down at under 10% for their competitors, whether it's Hyundai, GM, Ford is in fourth at 6.1%, and then you have Volkswagen at 5.9%. What's the key to catching up when it comes to EVs, really making any kind of a dent in the EV market? Carlos Tavares says it's affordability. We have to find a way to sell BVs at the price of ICEs. That's quite simple. To fix the affordability problem, we need to be finding a way to design to cost our products so that okay. you sell BVs at the price of ICEs. That is going to put extreme pressure on our companies. That answer, by the way, as you take a look at shares of Stellantis versus Tesla, and that's not your imagination. That is the truth. Over the last year, shares of Stellantis have outpaced those of Tesla. Uh, And now that's only one year. I'm sure the Tesla people are already saying on social media, wait a second, go back over the last four years. 
Correct. I'm not going to argue that point here. But I was going to say, Brian, that answer from Carlos Tavares was in response to me saying, what is going to happen if you do not have automakers in this industry who are able to pony up the money that is needed in order to bring down the cost of building a battery electric vehicle? He believes that's when the consolidation kicks in. Doesn't know when it will be, but he says over the next five to 10 years, you will see consolidation within this industry. Wow, that's amazing. And, and it's, I, listen, I think that the rate I'm editorializing just as a consumer, that, that RAM they've got coming out, which is kind of a hybrid as well, I think that could be a big hit. Yep. If you can solve that, you know, by the way, and I, I put a deposit in for an electric RAM. I'll just say that on the air. It's been like a year and a half. I've gotten no emails about it. We'll see what happens. I'm not sure if I'll convert, but it was cheap. Because here's the thing. To your point, Phil, you live in Illinois. You live in Chicago. You want to drive to Iowa to see family or wherever they may be. Solving that last 200-mile range thing, I think, along with price, is the hurdle. And what they're doing is pretty smart, I think. I think it is smart. And look, they also realize the charger anxiety in this country. I know Mark Fields has used that term. Others have used that term. It's real. You're not going to drive from Chicago to Kansas City in an electric vehicle. You you don't know where you're going to recharge along the way. You probably have a few places picked out, but you're saying, A, are the chargers going to be working? B, are they going to be crowded or is there going to be a spot for me? How long do you want to make a road trip that you could do in an internal combustion engine vehicle in seven and a half or eight hours? You don't want to stretch it out to yep. 10 and a half or 11 hours. That's the big challenge that's out there. And that is the big difference between Americans and Europeans, <laughs> Phil. Not trying to generalize. Americans drive a lot. We go long distances because we pay 350 for sure. gas, not eight. Phil Abot, fascinating stuff this morning with Carlos. Phil, thank you. All right, meantime, another tough day for Tesla and its investors. Shares down again, now down 22% on the year. Phil just showed you the chart, and there are growing concerns about a coming EV, quote, bloodbath especially in China. It's not my term. That's what Xpeng's CEO is calling it. Xpeng is a China-based automaker. They're planning to launch around 30 new or upgraded cars over the next three years. Writing in an employee memo, the CEO said, quote, this year also marks the beginnings of fierce competition that may end in a bloodbath among Chinese automakers. But is that only limited to China? Well, just today, Ford cut prices on its all-electric Mustang Mach-E by up to $8,100 to count in slower demand. Tesla just sliced prices for a limited time on its Model Y, and GM recently lowered prices on its upcoming Equinox Electric. So you just heard him quoted by Phil. Let's bring him in. Joining us now is former Ford CEO and CBC contributor Mark Fields. Does it all come back to price, Mark, or does it all come back to that, that the charging infrastructure, which, by the way, is improving exponentially every month, or some combination of those two things? Well, Brian, I think you're exactly right. It's a combination. It's an and, right? You need to get the price down to get it equal to internal combustion engines. So, you know, the, the, the consumer says, you know, I'm indifferent. But then you got to solve the charging uh, infrastructure issue. And it's not only just the availability of chargers. I mean, people don't talk about convenience for consumers. It's about the time that it takes to charge. So I think as prices come down, yes, you'll see the the market uh, for EVs improve. But until you get to what I call electrification 2.0, which is solid state batteries, where you can literally charge to 80 percent of your your battery in, you know, five to seven minutes. And it's equivalent, if you will, to, you know, filling up your tank of gas and getting your Slurpee. That's a really important piece of this that nobody's really talking about. And I saw the 
the words from Carlos Tavares around price. Yes, that's one piece of it. But there's those other two pieces of it, the charging infrastructure and the time it takes to charge. Solid states where it's at. Toyota knows that again. Toyota's out there being smart. And, you know, last week or two weeks ago, Penske Auto Group, led by the captain, Roger Penske, I listened in on parts of their earnings call. And Penske said something fascinating, Mark. He said that, well, number one, 51% of their EV sales are in California. Probably no surprise. Gas is expensive. It's kind of the, the, the thing to do there. But he also said that at the dealerships, their dealerships, they could not get or were having trouble getting chargers installed because there wasn't enough power to run the chargers. I thought that was fascinating. People can go back and read the transcript. And what's interesting to me, people don't realize how much power we're talking about. 135 kilowatt. I use about 40 kilowatts of hour per day in my home in New Jersey, which is probably more than I should. These chargers are 150, 200. That's three to four houses per day to charge a battery. Yeah, I mean, you know, kind of getting back to this issue of the inhibitors to the adoption of EVs, you got to look at the whole supply chain, right? We talked about costs, we talked about charging infrastructure, but then you got to take two steps back, right? You have to talk about who are the companies that are actually, you know, making the charging towers, where they're getting their power control units, for example, all the way from China, there's a backlog there. But then there's a really important point that you just mentioned, the utilities, Right. To 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 put in a EV charger or supercharger, let's say at a dealership and going to your local electric utility, the backlogs about two years plus or minus because they don't have the infrastructure or the pipe to put the juice through. yet. I think that's what Roger. Sorry to interrupt, Mark. I think that's what Roger Penske was alluding to on the call. I don't want to speak for him, but that this the kind of stuff that I've been talking about for two years. And people say, well, you're, you're, you know, I almost said something else. You're taking. You're, you're going after EVs, but I'm just looking at the entire ecosystem, seeing what's happening, and I'm worried for Detroit. That's why I went out there and talked with all the, the UAW workers for 12 and 15 hours that one day, because I'm worried about Detroit. I don't want to see Detroit get freight trained by fake dreams and $10,000 imported Chinese EVs, because they're made by well, people who make $5 an hour. Right. And listen, you know, this stat, you know, facts are stubborn things, right? And the facts of the matter are when you look at the, you know, uh, objectives that the politicians have set, let's use let's use California, for example. You know, in two years, they expect 35 percent of their sales to be all EVs. Today, it's about 20 percent. But when you look at those other factors and you start adding them up, you start saying, listen, this 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 doesn't add up. It doesn't mean that the, the changeover to EVs and that propulsion system is not mm-hmm. going to happen. But it has to be based on facts. And then you have to extrapolate and say, what's yep. the time frame for this? And, you know, the, the consumer is, is really going to be in a tight place. For example, if the government keeps to a number mm-hmm. of these regulations, which they say we're not picking you know, technology, but that's a that's a load of bull because they know the only way to get there is yep. EVs. And that's why I believe those are going to be moved back. Yeah. And if you want to just watch the presidential motorcade, it's about 100 cars long. All SUVs spewing gas. If you want to know, the, that may be the future. Mark Fields, former Ford CEO, thank you very much. By the way, I'm not making that up. The president's motorcade is literally 100 cars long. All right, coming up, Amazon set to join one of the most rarefied clubs out there. But Herb Greenberg says, be careful. The news and reaction with Herb next. You're not dreaming, folks. That is a bonus TNT for you tonight. 
One of the biggest companies in the world is set to join the Dow Jones Industrial Average. It broke tonight. Amazon will replace something called Walgreens next Monday. Shares of Amazon are up. Walgreens down on the news. Amazon will be joining Mag7 Brethren, Apple, and Microsoft in the index. So how did they fare when those other two were included? Well, in the case of Apple, shares were up 465% joining the Dow. But if you look closely, it was basically dead money for the first two years. Kind of a similar story with Microsoft, up 770% since then. So added back in all the way back in 1999. But the stock was flat for the first 15 years. Hmm. Will history repeat itself for Amazon? Is correlation necessarily causation? Let's bring in the editor, Herb Greenberg, on the street, on Substack. His name is Herb Greenberg. That's why it's called the Herb Greenberg Substack. He's also a CNBC contributor. Is joining the Dow for the Amazon, is that a death knell for Amazon? No, no, no you, want to put word, you want to put words in my mouth and you want yes. to tease me that the reality is there's no rhyme or reason. I've gone back and I've looked at all these inclusions going back five, six, seven years. And I'm glad you brought up Microsoft because it was dead money. And that's the point here. And I think if you look at some of the data here, um, it's it's very interesting because you could argue that, you know, the reason these things are added because it's sort of the differential between realized growth and growth expectations at the time they're being added. But if you look at some of these, the, the companies, I mean, think about this. Walgreens, Walgreens itself was re- replay, actually replaced G- GE in 2018. GE's up 89%, and you see what happened to Walgreens. Well, that doesn't always happen that way because you can have, you know, Apple replacing AT&T, which you already replaced, or Visa in 2013. It replaced Bank of America, and Visa's up like 479%, B of A, what, 150%. But here's what's interesting. What's interesting is if you look back when Salesforce, Salesforce in 2020 was so hot, it replaced Exxon. And then, you know, we were in the middle of the pandemic. Oil was out of favor. Exxon is up, what is it? It's up uh, yeah. 183%. And here's what's interesting. If you had added Amazon, Salesforce is up 5% since then. If you had added Amazon, back then, Amazon's down through that span of time by about 3%. But again, it depends when you want to use your benchmarks and when you want to measure these. What does that mean? It's the pr- Dow gets criticized, number one. It's mostly symbolic. It's a price-weighted index. Price-weighted. So now you're dumping out Walgreens, which is just, I mean, it's like a, if there's a like a company that's been a, like a, what are they, the little dumpster that goes on fire and it's like down the river and it's burning, that little gif. That's been Walgreens lately. So you, you boot out Walgreens lately. and you throw in Amazon it's like, you're, you're, I love when the Dow does that. They just decide, well, you know what? We're just going to dump the worst and then bring in this champion of the people and look how great we're doing. I mean, you got, you got to well, admit, there's a little bit of sort of, I get what they're doing, but there's a little, let's just have the smartest 30 kids of the class take the test. They're trying to keep it relevant, obviously, but then you look at the components of the Dow and there's so many, you know, you have, you have companies like 3M on there, which has been, you know, sort of a, I would say a steady eddy. Just a steady eddy and the fact that we all know it, it hasn't been a steady eddy over all these years it's been on there, but it's been an interesting mix. And if you compare it with the S&P 500, which is market cap weighted, where we have the, you know, the top companies there, we know what the story is there with NVIDIA and Google and, and the MAG7 um, versus everyone else. Yeah. And this is more of a, you know, it's more of an every every day, every man's, so every man and woman's sort of index. So, um, but look, I saw people not long ago say that Walgreens right now is a stock to start owning. So 
Is it That's a, it. Is it a good sign when for Auburn? That's it. get kicked out, the GE got booted or whatever, and then the sword, right? Like when they get kicked out is sometimes when they do the best. We got our eye on Walgreens Boots Alliance or whatever it's called this month. Herb Greenberg, this really month. appreciate it. Thank you. All You're right. welcome, Brian. Coming up, housing, getting a red-hot signal for spring, but pockets of opportunity do still exist. Bess Friedman will tell you where. All right, welcome back. Home building remains red hot. Higher end Toll Brothers had good earnings and expects, quote, a strong start to the spring selling season. But despite strong demand for home construction, home prices remain still stubbornly high. According to new data from Redfin, home prices jumped nearly 7% year over year in January, the largest increase in a year. And by the way, mortgage rates soaring compared to where they were. Are there any pockets of value left for interested buyers anywhere in the housing market? Let's find out. Joining us now is Brown Harris Stevens CEO, Bess Friedman. I'm going to ask you that, that genius question that I just asked myself. Are there any pockets of value left in real estate, Bess? Hi, good to see you. Um, listen, there's always opportunity and there is value. There's value in New York City. I think there's value in other parts of the country as well. And I think what's holding people back is still the fact that mortgage rates are high and they've not really come down since the beginning of the year. They remain flat. So, I mean, that's really central to why people are holding off selling and buying. Uh, but there's ample inventory in certain places like New York City, uh, West Palm Beach. There's a lot of new things that are going up, new buildings. So I say to people who are interested in buying, if they have the deposit, and they find something that they love, they should buy it. Uh, there's ample amp inventory in certain parts of the country, and I think they'll be able to refinance uh, in due time. Uh, the Fed hasn't indicated exactly when they're going to cut the Fed fund rate, but we think second half of the year, which hopefully will help the housing market. I would imagine most of your clients and, and probably many of, of your colleagues keep asking you, where are mortgage <laughs> rates going? Please, Bess, tell us. <laughs> they're going to go down. Yeah, I mean, look, you and I both know that mortgage rates are still historically low. It's just that everyone has their mind wrapped around the two and 3%, but those days are over. And I don't think anyone would tell you that they're coming back anytime soon. And I think we have to get adjusted to the fact that a 6%, 30-year, 7% is probably where we're going to be for some time. Um, and again, housing is such a great investment, a great place to put your money and to you know, have a family, raise a family. It's for the long term. And the market is there to serve you, not instruct you. And I think I'm just a big believer in the housing market and home ownership. And it's not because it's my book. It's because it's really proven time after time to be a great investment. You also got to convince people to move. And, and they got to they got to have somewhere to go is the thing. It's like everybody I know, people, you know, I'm of the age best where people's kids are starting to go off to college. They've got a bigger home. There's no one there. Talk about downsizing. And then they, th where do I go? Right. You have well, to have somewhere to go that you're not going to be paying the same high prices. Well, that's what's held back inventory. I mean, 
So many stories I've heard of people, for example, in Connecticut who haven't listed their homes to sell them because they have no place to go. And so we kind of need to move past that. And I think we will once rates start to come down a little bit and then inventory will free up. But look, it's not going to be dramatic. I don't think this year is going to be dramatically different. It will be probably better than last year, but you're not going to see any sort of huge parties and celebrations. We have an election year. We're in the middle of two wars. There's still a bit of uncertainty out there. So we have to be patient. And now you're going to have a bunch of builders in New York terrified about their appraisals. We, we're not going to go into that. But what, what we, I just kind of did. Why, why don't they convert a lot of these old buildings into housing? New York City needs housing. I don't understand New York City's housing policy. They got air rights on, on the New York City Housing Association. They could build a ton more low cost housing as well. And they don't. I agree with you. I mean, we have an affordable housing crisis in New York City. I know the mayor is trying to put together a group of people to change some of the zoning uh, to make it easier. But remember, a lot of this office, a lot of this office space that we want to convert to residential, uh, it's not that easy to do. Some people are doing it. I know Silverstein is doing a building downtown and other developers are looking at it. But a lot of the floor plates don't make sense for residential. Mm -hmm. And, and it doesn't make sense economically either. Uh, so it's a big problem that ne needs to be tackled. Uh, and we need to get more housing, more affordable housing for people in New York. It's yeah. a big problem. They, they got the air rights above a lot of the public housing, and they're, and they're not using it. It's the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. Actually, it's the, I've seen a lot of bizarre things. Bess Friedman, thank you very much. Love your insight. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Have All a right, good you're night. You're welcome. Thank you. All right, let's get now to our quicker than the ticker. All the best of the rest of the headlines. Let's put 60 seconds on the clock. American Airlines hiking the price to check a bag to 40 bucks. That is a $10 increase. It follows similar announcements from JetBlue and Alaska Airlines. American says the price hike is necessary due to inflation and fuel costs. The Nobel Peace Prize could go to Elon Musk? A Norwegian lawmaker has nominated him for the prize. He says Musk is a, quote, stout proponent of free speech, and that SpaceX's Starlink has been useful to fighters in Ukraine. Look both ways, literally. Police in San Diego issuing a warning to a man crossing the street while wearing an Apple Vision Pro right in front of them. The police department says it's all for exploring new dimensions, but not in the crosswalk. The Fab Four, each getting their own movie. Director Sam Mendes announcing four new individual Beatles movies, all from the perspective of John, Paul, George, and Ringo. The film set to be released by Sony in 2027. Mendes says the distribution strategy will be, quote, innovative and groundbreaking. All right, coming up, the hottest new trend among American teens it may not be TikTok. It could be trading stocks. Tom Sosnop up with that next. the new Sully Side Up animation. So it's time for a Sully Side Up. Forget soccer practice. Some parents are taking their kids to stock school. According to Charles Schwab, investing among teenagers is surging. Custodial accounts jumped by about two-thirds from 2019 to 2022, now up to nearly 350000 after the TD Ameritrade integration. Nearly all brokerages are seeing custodial accounts jump. Fidelity says one in four teens aged 13 to 17 are already investing in some form. It's even given rise to teenage stock influencers to try and educate other young, ambitious Americans that are ready to put their chore money to work or put their money money to work. Joining us now is Tasty Trade founder Tom Sosnoff. Some people may be shaking their heads. 
or yelling at the clouds, Tom, I think this is great news. I think it's great news too, Brian. It's like the new frontier of capitalism reaching another generation. I love it. Well, it's all club. By the way, any club you're in, whether it's the YMCA or a fraternity, whatever it might be, you need new members. You don't get new members, you die, right? The stock market is sort of, it's kind of its own club. These are the new members that'll keep it going. It's amazing. And it's not just, it's not isolated. It's not concentrated. It is very broad based, like you just brought up. Kids are super interested, and it's not just like 15 and 17-year-olds. It's all the way up, you know, to the early 20s in college, and it's just, it's incredible. I think part of it is kind of a post-pandemic thing, but you know what? It's its hung in there, and it's just continued to grow. It's well, great. and also the, the, the power of compounding money is just maybe one of the greatest forces in, in economics, and there's a journal story on it. And this is a really powerful thing, because if I said you want your 18-year-old to have $20,000, a lot of my families would say, well, we don't even have 20 ourselves. If you put $10 a week, 10 a week, for your child at birth into the S&P 500, you'll have, on average, with average returns, $20,000 when they turn 18. That's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's great. But, but even I actually think even more important than that is teaching kids about Uh, marketplace efficiency. As soon as they get involved, as soon as they buy, like when I got my first share of stock ever, somebody gave me a stock certificate when I was 12. And I hung on to that, I think until, you know, probably still have it today in my attic or something. But I think today kids realize how easy it is and how it's, it's, I mean, in a good sense, it's been gamified and to learn how efficient the markets are and how easy it is to participate in the markets. It's incredibly powerful. It really is. Any advice? I, you know, hopefully some young people are watching or listening to this or the podcast. Maybe they are if they're interested in the markets. What advice as a very successful guy yourself? What advice would you give them? Um, I so I am a freak about taking risk. And the advice I would give to anybody, I don't care what age, I don't care if you're 12, 15, 25, 85, take as much risk as you're comfortable with and you will be rewarded with a lifetime of gains from that. It doesn't matter if it's a winner right away or it's a loser, whatever it is. What matters is that you're participating, you're making decisions, you're using your brain. And by doing all that, it's going to make you into a better business person, Mm -hmm. a better investor. And it starts when you're, it literally starts when you're you're a team or you're in college. It's just so important. And we don't give it enough. We don't encourage enough risk-taking. And this is the most efficient way to do it. Yeah, it's, it's a good lesson, too, because, you know, it is easier to take risks when you're young. We all did in many way, different ways, not just with money. And, but you don't have a lot to risk, which is a great thing. But starting young, getting the lessons, but just also make sure you understand the way the markets work because things do move quick. Tom Sosnoff, always appreciate your wisdom and insight. Found a taste of trade. Tom, thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right, folks, that's it for last call. For, it goes by like that, doesn't it? I mean, we'll see you tomorrow night. Shark Tank is next. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.